Eclectic, eclectic perspective. 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 <clears throat> Hello, welcome to another edition of Eclectic Perspective. Speaking in regards to the subject of the color of hate, um, the definition of hate varies depending on who's talking or who you're talking to in regards to their perspective of it. Um, we have um, the typical hate that we think of off the top, racism, you know, whites against blacks. Blacks against whites, racism against the minority population of Mexicans and Latinos. Um, we use stereotypes. We even have reverse racism in many regards. Interracial relationships, hate against our own kind, and interracial and biracial. Um, <clears throat> this got distracted. Um, racism, um, but you know, hate covers many many different things. We hate just for the simple fact of hating. Um, in regards to hate. I would like to say um, this. Uh, look at a Stevie Wonder song um, from the album Love the Need. Hate's called around, breaking many hearts. Stop it, please, before it goes too far. Well, as far as I'm concerned, in 2010, hate has got to an all-time high, and I think um, a catalyst for even more hate is when we um, acquired a biracial president, um, President uh, Barack Obama. Anyway, there's so much written by poets about love, but the true warriors among us, including Stevie Wonder, also talk about hate, which really is going around hurting people, and it must be stopped. Stephanie Mills sang a song about learning to respect the power of love. It is real because love is powerful, but we must also learn to respect hatred, the equal and opposite of love, which is just as powerful. When you step into a war zone, you have to know that you may get hit with shrapnel. You also have to realize that when people are shooting at you, it is easy to lose your head and shoot back. And sometimes return fire can simply flare the conflict. Black males and females appear to be at war with each other in many corners of this nation. Hateful things are being said back and forth, and things are getting critical for those of us working for unity. There are still many of us who love each other and who still work against hatred and ignorance. Based on our commitment to each other, we must highlight and combat the ignorant men and women who hate on each other. But left unchecked, their hatred can appear more popular than it really is. In the collective perspectives, the radio show, the book that is being worked on, discussion forums headlined by Aisha Calloway, and speaking engagements to initiate real discussions and begin the healing process. See, we have a lot of healing to do. I've been trying to move people by tapping into the hot topics that cut deep into human nature. The upside is that some of us are awake and realize that even if we disagree, we can still be committed to our people or at least have a discussion about the divergences. The downside is that many of us have no idea how to have a conversation. I get literal demands for people to have discussions with them after they have cursed me or disrespected me in their disagreement with me. I get suggestions to be nice and to soften my rhetoric in order that many more can hear me. But no matter how much poetry you put on it, things are still ugly, and I will reach only those who are reachable, no matter what approach I employ. The ironic part is that the demands to be nice frequently come from hateful idiots who are being anything but nice. Besides, where is it written that hateful idiots can spew their waste at me while I take some high road and maintain decorum? Hate is hard to resist, and I am only human. It's like the dark side of the force. It's evil, but seductive. It's also like the matrix. You can become part of it and not even know what the real world has ceased to exist. You see, as humans, we are but vessels. Whatever you put inside is what will grow and spew forth. If you fill yourself with love and good thoughts, you will be a nicer and more loving person. But if you fill yourself with hateful thoughts and listen to hateful, angry messages, you will spew meanness, sometimes without even realizing it. Filling yourself means taking the love or the hatred spread by others and not dealing with it properly. 
was hatred. Sometimes you can ignore it, and sometimes you can simply let it go. The other times you have to return it to the hater who made it and brought it your way. You can't leave your hatred with me because it isn't mine to begin with. It's yours, and it's the hate the hate made. All right, Nancy Medenica, you have a comment in regards to the subject of hate? Yes, I do. Well, um, I was reading an article um, published by the Southern Poverty Law Center, and they were they were talking about a book that um, a group of white supremacists came together to write a book called The Color of Crime, Race, Crime, and Wrongs in America, which basically where they're justifying um, everything that they did, basically saying that they were right for everything they did, which in this case, when a lot of people hear this, it might make them angry. But then um, I started to think about you know, just black people in general in our community, and I was thinking more about our youth and how much violence there is um, within our youth, a lot of, you know, black-on-black crime. And a lot of this, I started to think that it's caused, you know, by a lot of our youth living in poor urban areas. And <clears throat> there's also a, a trend of violence in our culture anyway, we also degrade each other, calling calling each other hateful names. Uh, we victimize one another. So it's almost like um, the crimes are more within races. Even when, when we talk about whites, you know, they victimize themselves more than they victimize people outside their race. And us black people, we also victimize each other. So I think we need to focus more on the hate within ourselves first and get that and work on that. And then maybe we can start to see a change as far as, like, black on white or white on black um, hate. Mm, okay. Well, thank you for that um, perspective, Ms. Nancy. And I agree with you in many regards to that. Um, I remember recently, um, not really that recently, but um, a brother I know from Charleston, um, David Garfigur, he was tell- he um, introduced me to a, a document called the, the Willie Lynch document or something like that, and um, it speaks to many of the things that you speak about. I mean, we can't expect any other person to not hate us, any other racial group not to hate us when we have so much hate within our own race. And I definitely will, um, I can expand on that. I mean, just even within my own family, just based on um, the diversity, because we're a multi-ethnic um, racial group about, you know, the light skins get treated a certain way and the darker skins get treated a certain way. And even within the, the, even within the family, there's um, distinction between um, the lighter skins and even brothers and sisters, um, the way their parents treat them. So I think, I mean, how can we even expect, you know what I'm saying, someone that's that much different from us to um, embrace us if we can't even embrace ourselves? And I think when we get to the point where we can truly love ourselves, then we can um, have better expectations where we can't make no expectations or make any determinations when we can't even get it together at the um, root level of our existence. Right. All right. Well, thank you for that perspective, Ms. Nancy. Um, I also have another caller um, who would like to give a perspective and get about blacks' interpretations of um, of their racism or hatred towards um, whites from her perspective. All right. Caller, you have a perspective on um, how whites are prejudiced against? Yes, um, I think that one very interesting prejudice that I think a lot of people probably overlook is interracial dating. Mm -hmm. And it's very sad to me because 
you know, we've come so far, and we're finally at a place where it's not illegal to interracial date. But I find, um, as a black woman, you know, and um, coming from multi-ethnic background, that a lot of black men and um, black women as well find it unacceptable for me to be um, dating white men. Right. And I'm not exactly sure, you know, what the perspective is on that from all other sides, you know, because I date men of all different ethnicities and, you know, color to me, I'm colorblind, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know, but I've been on the street before just walking with the, the white man that I was dating and um, kind of been verbally assaulted on the street by um, a couple of black men that were passing mm-hmm. with a, why are you with him? You know, that type of thing. And it just, it makes you feel bad for the white guy that right. you're walking with. And it makes you feel bad because it's almost like, well, am I doing something wrong? Am I doing something I need to apologize for? And the answer is no, you know. So. Do you, um, how do you feel, think the, um, the man that she was with, how do you think that he felt? Or did he speak to you about the situation or did he just let it, let it dissolve? Did you have any communication in regards to that particular incident? We did. I think that he felt a bit inoculated. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely do. That I tried to kind of comfort him and reassure him about it, and you know, but it's one of those things that I really don't think that he would have said anything for himself. I think I think I remember saying something to the black men about it, like it's none of your business or keep moving. But he didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. He just kept walk. You know, he walked kind of looking a little bit ashamed. That type of thing. Right. I know that he wasn't ashamed to be with me. He was very proud to be with me. But it's almost like he couldn't look the black men in the eye. He wasn't going to step to them. That type of thing. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And how did you feel? I guess it's just one of those things that, you know, makes me feel like who I date is nobody's business but my business. Mm-hmm. You know, so I kind of feel like I'm tired of walking around feeling like I have to defend who I want to date to the world, you know, because um, I'm currently not dating anyone now. And, you know, it's just kind of anyone's guess who the next person or the next race is what that person will be who I date. Right. But it almost seems like, you know, oh, i got to take into consideration you know, what people's thoughts are, but it's like, you know, who cares? We're all just humans. That's right. So, you know, I hope that people will, people's state of mind will evolve Mm -hmm. to a place where they don't have to be concerned about that kind of thing. I hope so, too, but I don't foresee any time in the near future. (laughs) Well, I really hope that something will happen. Okay. Well, thank you, Carla, for, um, sharing your perspective on the subject of the color of hate. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Recently, um, hate has um, hit the headlines due to um, a shooting death and dragon death in um, Newberry, South Carolina, which is about mm, 30 miles from Columbia. Um, What's the name? Um, 
a man who apparently got into an altercation, or a Caucasian man apparently got into an altercation with a co-worker of African-American descent, shot him, and then dragged him approximately 10 miles. And um, the question that came to mind was that, you know, they're trying to say, well, is it a hate crime? Well, I'm thinking, you know, I'm saying anytime that you shoot somebody of an opposite color, that may not necessarily be a hate crime, but even with that case a couple years back when the um, African-American was dragged in Texas, that was labeled as a hate crime. Anything, any dragging death, if you have the, the mind state to do it, it's almost a, a symbol, a, sig- a signal that that's what it is. I don't know why they're standing on the fence. Are they afraid to start conversations or discussions in regards to hate in order to avoid, um, I'm saying, if, avoid conflict in the community or conflict in the nation? Um, I don't know why they're trying to even think of, of not making that a hate crime based on everything that's surrounding that case. Now, I don't know all the details because I barely watch the news in regards to those kind of issues, but I do believe that off the top, the fact that you shot a man of a different color and then you dragged him for 10 miles, just the dragging itself, that should be worked into the, the law in such a way that that's automatically a hate crime, in my opinion. You don't hear about any other crimes that institute anything with dragging not being related to someone of the opposite race. You never hear of African-Americans dragging other African-Americans or Caucasians dragging other Caucasians or any other races. It's always one against the other, and it's always, it seems, um, Caucasians against African-Americans. Now, I'm not trying to stem hate. I'm not even trying to be a catalyst for hate. But I think the realization of it is it is what it is. I don't know why media is trying to mull it over. But on other racism, other hatred is, um, you know what I'm saying, a, a hatred um, of biracials, those that are, you know, of, of multi-ethnic groups. Um, we have a call that which is to speak in regards to that issue. And Paula, can you tell me about your experiences with hate? Yes. Um, as a person of multi-ethnic background, I feel like a lot of people have a tendency to want to define people based on what they look like. And, you know, a lot of times people kind of judge what they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, you know, a lot of people would say, well, what are you? You know, and because I have black and white and some Native American, you know, I don't necessarily look like a lot of people may look. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there is just a lot of, I think, misunderstanding on the part of my peers. And um, I think that it wasn't until I came to college that I, you know, came upon my own sense of acceptance and I uh, kind of really kind of went into my own natural look. But, um even at the college, though, there have been people who, you know, I've met resistance just with people who are small-minded and ignorant. You know, I've met with racial slurs and mm-hmm. things upon that nature. It's very disconcerting to me that, you know, people are in their own, in the, like, because that's how they're raised. You know, you want to mm-hmm. you want to meet them with, you know, anger, but you have to realize that that's just kind of what they were brought up with, too, so... Right. Well, it seems like you got to a level within yourself, I don't know how old you are, in which that you've accepted that I'm not, you're not going to be judged by anyone's other's interpretation of yours, that you accepted that their ignorance is theirs and that they need to own it on their own, and you're not going to accept it as your own reality. Right. Um, I'm 21, and um, even in my short years, I feel like I've come to a place of peace. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, it's just, I feel like, Earlier on, you know, I'm talking elementary, middle school. I spent a lot of time worrying, you know, a lot of anxiety, talking to my mom, talking to my family members about, 
just wanting to fit in and wanting people to, you know, like me for me, but also just almost wanting to blend in. But now I think it's wonderful to be able to, you know, to stand out, to be your own person and to be unique. And I think that there's something unique about everyone. And, you know, if everyone can take that away and just kind of live with that message, I think the world would be a lot a lot healthier, a lot better, a happier planet. Right. right. I agree. Is there one incident of hate that stands out in your mind? Uh, yes. They, uh, I was at a party one night, and this one particular guy had had too much to drink, and he was spouting off insults at his girlfriend, and it was just a dangerous situation for everybody involved. And mm-hmm. so some friends and I, in order to remove her from that, that situation, um, you know, we were trying to get the car, get her out of there, get her to go, and my friend and I, she's um, mixed Hispanic and Arabic, ethnicity, we were the only two minorities at this party, and so he just starts spouting off at the mouth, calling me the N-word, and, um, you know, I think there might have been someone who was Jewish there, starts talking about the Holocaust in a very hateful manner, just just hateful things, you know, some of the things I'd never, just never even heard of. Right. So, um, you know, but even after that incident, I just couldn't let that become a part of my psyche. And right. so I've seen this individual three times before, and it started to eat at me a little bit, but I had to let it go. And, and since then, we've actually had a conversation about it. I ran into him at the grocery store and stood behind him and made him a little bit uncomfortable. And he turned around, and he didn't say anything. And finally I said, it wouldn't be so bad if you had just apologized. Right. And so um, we were able to come to a place of healing because of that, because I could tell that he was so ashamed of that night because he'd had too much to drink. Right. And not to say that he doesn't still feel that way, you know, but at least he apologized and at least he was made to feel that shame. Right. You know. So I feel like I don't have to feel bad about it. You know, I'm at a place of peace and that's all that matters to me. Well, thank you for sharing your perspective of hate today. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. All right. <clears throat> I'd like to introduce you to, introduce you to another perspective in regards to the hate that um, multi-ethnic or biracial people feel. Yes, Carla. Can you state your name? Yes, this is Lizette. Yes. How have you been impacted by hate? Well, um, I'm definitely... Um, I guess you would say a result of a biracial marriage. My father is white, and he's from the West Coast. He's definitely a cowboy with horses and things like that. Um, then my mother's black. You know, she's like the soul sister. She's all about her blackness. So somehow, someway, that our couple got together, and they had me. Well, growing up as a young girl, um, first of all, I was raised in the South. I started off in the South. I started off in Charleston. And... You know, we we grew up in the hood. But my mother would always protect me and say, you can only go out after a certain time. You can't go to certain people's house. I couldn't play with certain people because they always were hating on, quote, unquote, the light-skinned girl. I didn't know that I was different than everybody else. I thought I was black like everybody else. But apparently there was a difference in me. I didn't really start to see that until I moved when I was seven to go live with my father. 
I wasn't white enough for the whites, and I wasn't black enough for the few black people who were over there. So, I mean, it's it's kind of wild. It's kind of crazy. I moved back when I was 14, and, oh, my God, I saw it in full stream. You're, you know, 14, freshman in high school, you know, light skin, long hair. I'm thinking I'm black like everybody else, but apparently I'm not the same black as them, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty much basically it in living, learning how to live and cope, you know, how black is black and how right. white is white. <laughs> and finding my identity in between. How difficult was it for you to establish your identity being basically a product of two worlds? Well, I'm going to put it like this. I am definitely a chameleon. There's certain ways that I talk when I'm around my father, and there's certain ways that I talk when I'm around my mother. Of course, you know, we're going to put the the country twang, the southern slang, all of that into the mix when I'm around my black friends and my black family, because that's how we do. But, of course, when I go around my family, my white family, I don't talk like that, because, for one, they're not going to understand anything that I say. (laughs) You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, yes, of course, you know, you know, talking like, you know, what they say, a white girl. You know, you just do what you do. You stick in the middle. But when it comes down to it, I know that I see myself as being a black person. I don't see myself as being, you know, a biracial or this or that. I mean, a lot of people call me just a light-skinned black person. I mean, it is what it is. How are you currently treated in your community? Currently, like a black woman. They they don't see any difference. And the only time that they really see a difference is is when I say something about my dad or we go camping or we go fishing or we go riding horses. And they be like, what? You do what? I'm like, yeah, you know, camping. Didn't you go camping? They was like, no. (laughs) So, you know, like that. Oh, okay, okay. Wow. Mm. So, hate. It seems like, you know what I'm saying, that I really didn't hear anything about hate per se. So basically, you you basically got through this life, got through this way of yourself being a, a biracial um, makeup. It hasn't really had an impact of hate. You haven't felt like hurt well, based on it. Is that what you're saying? I have, well, I'm going to put it like this. Nobody really knew how to handle me as who I am. I'll give you a perfect example. My aunt on my mother's side, my mom's sister, she came up to me when I first came back from Idaho living with my dad. She said, how do you love your white family? And I was like, what you mean how I love my white family? I love my white family just like how you love your black family, you know? But then, you know, on the white side of that, you know, I remember I was seven years old, and I was going to school, and this older white boy, he had to be at least three or four years older than me, he walked past me, and he spit on me. And I couldn't understand why he spit on me for the life of me. And I went home crying, told my daddy. My daddy was like, oh, it's because you're different, Anasha. And I'm like, well, what do you mean different? So I never, I couldn't understand it until I got to high school, and I finally saw how different people made me be, not the difference that, you know, I was unique because I was a Nasha, not unique because, you know, I was black right. and white, you know. Well, if you could give our listeners one piece of advice on this subject, what would that advice be? Um, definitely find your own identity um, in the mix. Don't let anybody else define you for who you are. 
Um, I do have biracial friends who tend to be more, I guess you would say, the white culture. And then I have biracial friends who tend to be on the black culture. And then I have, you know, biracial friends who straddle the fence. Like I do, I straddle the fence. Sometimes I'm a total white girl, sometimes I'm a total black girl. But definitely find something that makes you comfortable. And if somebody's not comfortable with who you are in your whiteness or your blackness or in your identity, shake them off. It's not their life. It's your life. You live it. You love yourself. And that's the only thing you can live for is you. I agree with that. Great advice. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you for calling. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. And here's another perspective. Colin, can you give us your perspective in regards to the subject of hate, your experience with it, or anything in connection with it? Well, I actually grew up as a military brat, and not until about 12 years old I realized when I came to Charleston that racism does still exist, that people Mm -hmm. still did have a problem with others just due to the fact of their skin tone. Um, Like I said, I grew up in the military. It was never even questioned. It was never brought up. Everybody was mixtures. Everybody, It was literally a melange of ethnicity all around you, all the time. I first learned the word red as a reference to a skin tone, yellow as a reference to a skin tone. Um, And personally, I was met with three aggressive young ladies I'd never met before, first day in school, second day in Charleston, who said, quote, unquote, she thinks she's cute because she red. I had no idea what this meant. My father is also from Charleston, but he was in the military, left, and we came back. And I had to go home and ask him to clarify. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that, wow, racism really still does exist. So I've honestly spent the, since then, my life explaining to people that it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your sexuality is. It doesn't matter if you have green eyes, blue eyes. It doesn't matter if you have nappy hair, thin hair. You know, it's it's who the person is. And it's taken time, but I'm beginning to see in, like, specific groups that it's becoming a little bit easier, but not all groups, not all sections of society are beginning to accept this new idea, or what we think is a new idea, but it really is just common sense to me and common knowledge. Right. So I have dealt with it, and I am of, <laughs> I'm Dutch, Irish, Welsh, Scottish, Indian, German, and black. And mm-hmm. in layman's terms, I'm mulatto. I'm half black and half white. Right. I've always been asked, do you consider yourself black or white? I consider myself neither. I consider myself both. Right. But I consider myself me. First off and foremost. And I really do believe that if people are brought up and people bring their children up to believe that, then racism would pretty much disappear across the board. Well, thank you, Carla, for sharing your perspective. And that's no problem. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> yes, please, Alvin, if you have a perspective on this subject, please call 646-378-0455. That's 646-378-0455 to speak on the perspective of the color of hate, um, an incident of hate that you have experienced or currently experiencing, the impact it may have had on you, how did you or how are you dealing with the subject, and how you plan on resolving it. Ms. Aisha Calloway? Hey, how's everybody doing this afternoon? All right. Good, good, good. Um, I'm tuning in a little late. I had a family emergency, so everybody forgive me. Um, Mr. Blue, if you can fill me in on what's going on. Uh, right now we've just been dealing with this, um, the basic premise of racism and, and raw. Just so we, the hate we're talking about right now is racism. Do you have a particular incident or a perspective on the subject? Actually, I do. I think my first experience, with racism pertaining to me being African-American, I think I was probably about 9 or 10, and I was walking to the corner store um, near where I lived. And I remember these two Caucasian males riding by in this big old truck, and they just threw tennis balls at me and my sister and called us the N-word. And I knew it was wrong, it wasn't correct behavior, but I really didn't know how I felt about it until it happened again when I was about 21, 22. And I think that's when it really set in. Um, I ended up taking a trip to um, the Blacks and Wax Museum. Mm -hmm. And that was, it really impacted my life a, a lot. I mean, it just changed my perspective on how I thought about self, how I viewed the racist Caucasians. Um, it was hurtful. I felt like, why am I being judged just based on my skin tone? You know, why would you throw tennis balls at me and call me that? And my son was in four-year-old pre-K, and I'll never forget, I went to go pick him up, and um, he just was off that day. So I'm like, you know, what's going on? And finally he came out and told me. He was like, well, my friend, you know, Kobe called me the N-word. Well, they're four years old, so, you know, Kobe had to get it from home. And um, we had a big issue at the daycare. So, you know, at four years old, I'm trying to explain to my four-year-old child, you know, how that word derived, what it meant back then, what Webster Dictionary says it currently means. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now my son is, he's 10. So it's just that racism is very much alive, very much so. And I think it's hurtful. It makes people question, you know, their own integrity. It makes people question their self-worth, you know. It's just that question of why that will never be answered. And what about yourself, Mr. Blue? Um, the first memory of it, well, I grew up in Biloxi, Mississippi for some of the fundamental years of my life. Biloxi, mm -hmm. Mississippi. <clears throat> and um, I would say there's always been like a shadowy or uh, covert movement of racism but when you're brought into a system and you grow up in a system, you don't really see it. It's just a norm, I guess. When I moved from Mississippi to South Carolina, I guess maybe then I realized that that system was um, a racist system designed to hold uh, people back. The school I went to, I'm recalling my Mississippi early days when I went to um, Lopez Elementary, um, uh -huh. we had, um, I recall having dirty books. I recall not having... Um, the coolest building. I don't recall having the air conditioner or anything like that. So our school was depilated. Our, um, our teachers weren't probably the greatest um, educators. I guess they used what they had to get by. Um, the, I never 
I didn't really know racism per se until I became a teenager. One of the first incidents that I remember or recall is when I'm, um, we were going to um, a family reunion in Maryland. For some reason, we went through West Virginia. And um, looking at the map, I don't see why we would go that way. Maybe we were picking somebody up. I don't recall. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were stopped at a gas station. We, we had a rental. So we had Georgia Place because, you know, South Carolina is not really known for having their own place when they give up rentals. It's <laughs> usually <laughs> uh, <laughs> Florida or Georgia. <laughs> I know. That's so right. So it's like, well, go back to Georgia, you beep. Well, I don't have wow. I don't use it. But, yeah. And we were like, and we were shocked. The whole car was shocked. My grandmother, who been through Jim Crow, through the the Civil Rights Movement. Even her face was shock and awe. My aunt, who went through the same movements, was in shock and awe. My mom, I guess, reliving some of her, her Jim Crow days or her um, segregation civil rights days, was in shock and awe. I was more in shock, not because of what they said, but because of the hatred that spewed from their mouth. They could have said anything. It was the energy and the hate that was in their voice inflection that uh-huh. that brought fear to my heart. And honestly, to this day, I still don't go through West Virginia for no reason. I have that as a fundamental part of my psyche in which, for some reason, I have an inner subconscious fear of that place. Oh, wow. Um, when I was, uh, when I was in um, high school, I used to go to Garrett High School, um, my, my sister, she was a punk rocker. She, she liked hardcore music. And so she was definitely prejudiced against, against our own, uh, by our own people. Black people hated my sister because she listened to alternative music. She listened to rock. She listened to pop. Now, they wasn't really saying that against me because that's when I had first started my rap career. So, you know, I was known for the mixtape circus for rapping and stuff. So it was like, well, how do you live in the same house? How do you deal with that damn wigger? And they used to call her names out her name oh. and stuff like that. So the impact that I had, you know, you don't talk about my sister. You don't, you don't put no rhetoric I hate against my sister. That's my sister. Yeah. She may be different yeah. than us, but she's still my sister. Okay, so, you know, I got a little geography. But I used to mess with one of her friends. And then the hate was redirected at me. Oh, you a sellout, da-da-da, um, my black girlfriends, not girls I was dating, but girls that, you know, was it like in my same neighborhood, San Gang or whatever, yeah, yeah. They, would, they would seek her out and beat her up just because I was dealing with her. Why are you beating up Perry? Oh, because you mess with that white beat, blah, 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 boom, boom, boom. They beat her every day. Yeah, you day was messing with her. Yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I realize now that, you know, yeah, that really wasn't the best thing to do for stealing uh, yeah. I mean, how are you going to, you, you're prejudiced against, how are you going to be prejudiced against somebody else, really, you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, it's crazy because I think that, so many of us have prejudice within our own families, and I mean literally, you know, the under the same roof. And I say that because, you know, I'm a little, I'm brown skin, and my sister, she's a red bone, and my mother's red, and my father's um, dark complexed like I am. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like growing up, like, wow, my mom treats her better. And my mom would say, well, you know, she's a baby, she needs more attention. And right. I guess... I didn't see it that way, and so as an adult, you know, I still don't see it that way. I feel like it was because she was light-skinned. It was like she would get all the new stuff. I would get the hand-me-downs from my cousins and cousins' cousins, and, well, you you four years old, you know, she can't wear it. I'm like, well, you saved all this stuff for six years. Why you can't save my stuff for her for four years, you know? But um, I just think that sometimes we don't realize that, you know, we are being racist. Um, against our own people or other people even. Um, I know right. me, myself, I've never had the opportunity to grow up in, quote, unquote, the ghetto or whatever you want to call it. So there are certain times when I drive downtown Charleston, I do feel unsafe. And, you know, I know people probably like, I can't believe her right now, but it's the truth. You know, I will right. lock my doors um, or check to make sure they're locked. 
and not that I'm afraid to the capacity where, you know, if they were to approach me, I'm going to run or scream, no. But it's unfamiliar to me. Um, I didn't grow up in a gated community, but I grew up in the country. I grew up on a farm for the most part. And from there, I mean, it's pretty much been me in Somerville. Um, I think stories that my father has told me, because he grew up in New York, so he's done, you know, a lot of things. He's seen the worst of the worst. It just kind of, I guess I've always been, quote, unquote, gated. Um, and even with my children, I, I won't forget one time my sister and I were going to um, a Goodwill store in Charleston. And my son, you know, and I don't know how long ago this was, maybe like three, four years, he's like, Mommy. And I'm like, what, baby? He's like, why are these black people walking around? Why are they not at work? You know, he just, he was even a little like, wait a minute. You know, it just, and again, sometimes I think we do it and we don't know because of lack of exposure. You know, I didn't even realize I was locking my doors and somebody in the car with me was like, oh, why you did that? I'm like, I don't know. It's just habit. And the person right. knew me very well. They said, no, that's not habit. You have never done that, <laughs> you know. So I don't know. Sometimes I think we do things and just don't even realize, um, you know, that we're doing them or that we're putting out hatred or being racist or, or biased or whatever you want to title it. But it happens. It's, it's life. I just think that um, the – the worst thing is to do it to be mean. I think that's horrible, you know, like riding by throwing bottles or, or tennis balls at somebody and calling them a derogatory term. I think that's horrible, but I think some things are just innate in us. You know, it's just, again, for lack of exposure or, you know, we've, we've seen something, we've had that one bad experience, and we're like, you know what, I'm going to just be a little more protective in this area. But, um. Again, even like with my mom, I don't think that she meant to treat us differently. I just think that that was innate in her. It's, that's how she grew up. You know, the light-skinned people got treated better. The light-skinned children, you know, might have got the extra piece of chicken or the extra hug. or I mean, that's just how it was. And um, I don't know. It, it's crazy that society has pretty much settled upon that type of treatment and ideology, but it is what it is. I mean, even... Today, within black cultures, you know, the light-skinned person normally has the longer hair or the prettier hair, and you'll hear, well, she's so pretty, but they got the same clothes on from Walmart, but she's prettier. Why? Because of her complexion. Right. Right. You know, so, I mean, we still deal with that even within our own race. Well, thank you for offering your perspective in regards to the subject, Ms. Calloway. So now I would like to talk about hates against homosexuals. Um, I was, um, you know, I'm a writer for a, a regional magazine called Geechee One, and I'm, I had put out the premise that I was going to write an article called Gay, the New Black, and I was viciously attacked in emails and in discussion forums and um, phone calls and texts in regards to how are you going to compare being gay to being black and all they have to go to. So, you know, just want to speak on that a little bit. In today's society, there's a new form of hate which is beginning to brew, even more so than in the past. The hatred has been present in some form or another for hundreds upon hundreds of years. Throughout the world, people are drawn toward a specific group with whom they can relate. Hispanics generally socialize with more Hispanics. Black people tend to stick to their own group, while other black friends and males and females tend to form groups of buddies with other males or females. All these things are done by people every day without any sort of arguments being brought up. However, when the issue of one's sexuality is brought up, an overwhelming number of people take a stance based on beliefs which have risen due to their own hatred for another group of people. 
Every year, hundreds of innocent people are killed in the U.S. just because of their sexual orientation. It's different from what is considered to be the norm. The problem of hate crimes being committed against homosexuals isn't just focused here in the United States. It's a global phenomenon. Um, in the last year, 31% um, of gay youth were beaten, threatened, and injured on school grounds. These events have a great effect on the youth's educational success and mental health. And as a mental health professional, it is a deep concern of mine. This same type of hatred was seen back before the turn of the century when the African-American community began to gain more and more rights. Back then, people hated the African-American community for one reason and one reason only, the color of their skin. And if a person was black, that person was automatically put down to a lower standard. Now, today, in today's world, if a person is homosexual, they are automatically put down to a lower standard. If a society is ever going to advance toward becoming safer and more accepting place to live, that all people must learn to never judge someone based on their race, religion, or sexual orientation. And honestly, we have a lot of work to do in regard to that. I'd like to hear a perspective in regard to that. Hello, Carla. Can you state your name? This is DJ Tripp. DJ Tripp. DJ Tripp from Charleston. How you doing? I'm chilling. How you doing? Hey, just loving life. But actually, maybe I'm hating life since that's today's subject. Like to name an incident of hate that you are, have experienced or are currently experiencing? Yeah, hate, hate. I'm I'm getting hated from from so many different angles. Like mm-hmm. this this is a perfect topic for me because I kind of live in two worlds or three worlds actually. Seeing though I do gay and lesbian parties and I do teen parties and then I do regular parties. Right. So in the gay and lesbian world, most the most recent um situation I had is I was out of town. I get a phone call that another female DJ is in the club screaming, fuck me. And I right. can I curse? Excuse me, you gonna bleep that out? Just <laughs> <laughs> do what you do, baby. We take care of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, another D- another female DJ was in the club screaming F me along with a local female artist. And it's like, as far as the local female artist was concerned, I never even met her in my life, couldn't identify her in the police lineup. And as far as the female DJ was concerned, like, I was showing love, going to the little events or whatever, you know, reaching out to them. Because I I know it's hard for women in this industry, especially, mm-hmm. being right. a gay woman also. But it's like, sometimes I feel like a lot of a lot of women see where I am with this DJ thing, and they kind of expect for me to carry everybody, which I I try to do. I I fault myself because a lot of times when I do events and if they're in the club, I give everybody a chance in the booth. If people know you, if they don't know you, this might be the first time you ever played outside of your bedroom, but because I know it's hard for women, and we're not going to walk up in in any local spots and, and any other male DJ is just going to call us up there like that. So I feel right. obligated sometimes to play my part and bring them up there. And with this particular female DJ, I don't know what, where it came from or what, what it was about, but basically, like, they mad. And I, I can't figure out. Like, I don't know what to do because it's hard work. Like, people think, like, this is some magic wand that I'm waving and people, and I get phone calls, or I'm doing parties, or I'm in this club and that club. But it's hard work. It's, I get a lot of no's before I get a yes. I right. just don't stop. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, they get discouraged, and 
you know, after a few nightclubs, so my, every club in Charleston told me no, but after a few nightclubs tell them no, they, they start reconsidering the thought of maybe wanting to get into the industry. And then, like, from, from another perspective, with the straight people, of course, that's a different type of hate, because then I got to deal with the whole lesbian thing. And especially when I first started DJing, a lot of people would, they were blatantly honest and telling me, you know, I think you're a good DJ, but I just, I don't want you to DJ for me because you gay and I don't want them sex in the club. Right. And people would be surprised, like, how many people party in spots where they really not welcome. And they spending money, yeah, but, but inside the club owner is not happy to see you there. But I don't right. put them on blast. Maybe I should. But, I mean, hey, that, I, 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 certain things I just throw out. You got to pick and choose your battles, and that's not one I'm willing to fight on a regular basis. So I leave it be. But um, you your, your sexuality is singling you out uh, from being maybe as successful as you could be? Because I, I know of your skills. I have a couple of your mixtapes, and you're definitely a good um, DJ. Do you think that you're being singled out because of your sexuality, because you wear and you wear pride? Wow. Definitely, I, and and because like like I'm gay for real. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not industry gay. I'm not Nicki Minaj. I I like girls that dance with girls gay. It's not cute. It's not pretty. Like I'm not dressing up and and pretending to be a Barbie doll type gay. Like this is really and truly how I live my life. So to me, it's secondary when it comes to working. But for other people, it's the first thing they notice. And and because for your calling, I mean for your listeners, because I'm butch. That's what y'all would call it. In the, in the lesbian community, we call it a stud. Because I am a stud and I'm coming into my rockerwears and my white tee and I ain't got on heels and my breasts ain't hanging out, all of that plays into, oh, this is not what I was envisioned when I heard you were a lesbian. Right. You know? So it definitely is a hindrance for me as far as crossing over or getting more gigs, and even with radio. I believe 100% that that's why I'm not on radio, <laughs> because of the, the whole gay thing. So is it fair to say that gay is the new black? Gay? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's a hard question. I mean... Like, I, I think that whatever the hip-hop community, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever they, they make seem cool, I guess people gravitate towards that for the time being. But then again, there can always be a backlash. And for people who pretending to be gay because it's hot right now, like, I hope they're willing to deal with the repercussions of that when it's not so cool anymore. Right. And, and that's not really who you are. Right. Yeah. I so, understand. Yeah. Well, thank you, DJ Trip, for sharing your um, experience with hate. And I hope, hopefully people will start opening their minds and resolve some of the issues around hate. Because, you know, when you hate others, sometimes it's just an underlying cause. You're really hating yourself. And sometimes maybe right. the people that's pointing the finger with hating have an underlying feeling of, Maybe they feel they're that way or have experienced something in regards to that way. So hopefully these things can be resolved because hating is never never good for anybody. Never, never. Hey, and your listeners can check me out on MySpace, man, if you don't mind me putting that out there. 
Okay, go ahead and do your plug. MySpace.com, your DJ trip. Y'all take right. me out. Mm, Facebook? Thank you. All right, thank you. All right. And Miss Taz would like for you to join Dope Girl Magic DJ trip. She says she has room for you. And once again, that's Dope Girl Magic. Magic. And the CEO of that company is Miss Taz. Google her. M-R-Z space T-A-Z-Z. Ms. Callaway. Yes, sir. Any um, perspective in that regard to that subject matter? Mm. My head's still hurting. I'm trying to think about everything she was saying. That was kind of deep to be hated on just because of your sexual preference. Wow. Um, I don't know. I guess I never... You you marinate on that while I get another... Yeah, let let me do that. Let me do that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, show you right. (laughs) Call it with the last digit, 87. Hi, Mr. Blue, Ms. Callaway. This is hey. Joanne. Hey, how you doing? Um, not to comment on the subject you just had. That was a little too deep for me. I'd like to take it in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you on that one. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to share um, an experience that happened. I used to be an emergency medical technician, and in the rural part of Georgia, I went on a call. Uh, it was a serious call, uh, a near amputation, and I got there, and the father of the child didn't want me to touch the son because I was black. Mm. Oh, now, that was powerful hate right there. The child could have died. We actually had to have the sheriff intervene so that I could treat his child to save his wow. life. Wow. But I know about the color of hate. That kind of changed who I was as a person because I just didn't think people could hate like that to the point of death. And so, yeah, that hate changes you. But the thing of it is you just can't carry that around with you. You have to release that, let that go, not let it be your problem because it's theirs. You should always be true to who you are. And I just also want to comment as far as like now, um, people thinking racism no longer exists because we have a black president. Oh, no, I think that really made it come out. You guys <laughs> before, but now anything and everything that our president does or says is scrutinized, criticized, and hammered on religiously because he's black. And I, how unfair. They're missing out on so many wonderful opportunities because they're too busy being judgmental. Wow. That's a great point. I totally agree with you on that concept. I do want to ask her one question. How did the child respond um, to you working on, on them? Well, at the time, I, the child was in pain, almost unconscious. So, okay. uh, yeah, so it's like a life or death type thing. And like I said, actually have to have the police uh, intervene wow. and threaten, you know, to handcuff the father and carry him to jail if they didn't allow me to treat. My oh, partner my not trained as well as I. Um, he said he could treat them. So while we're trying to get the sheriff here to intervene, I had my partner, I was telling him what to do, how to do, when to do, wasting valuable time, um, all because of hatred. That's mm. deep. That's crazy. And my was white, and he even commented, he goes, I don't know what to do. He kept saying, I don't know what to do. I'm just driving. Oh, my but God. The man didn't care. He was white. That's all that mattered. Right. Wow. So his hate would have, he allowed his hate to almost take the life of his son. His hate basically overrode his love. Exactly. 
It's a powerful emotion. I think that's the only emotion that rivals love is hate. You can do both equally. I think, to me, it's like, how do you get to the point to hate something or someone that much? It threw me for because I was there to save his child's life. But his hate of my color overruled the love he had for his child. And that's what I'm saying. You know, how does he get to that point? I mean, as a parent, I don't care how much I might not like a certain race or, or whatever, but this is my child that's about to die if the child does not get medical attention. And for me to say you can't work on my child because of your complexion, I mean, wow. Yeah. I I just wonder how he got to that point. I wonder about that as well. That's crazy. Welcome to my world. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that perspective. And there goes another type of perspective. And the final um, comment on hate I'd like to make is in regards to self-hate. I think one of the most powerful hates and underlying hate, which probably fuels many other types of hate. Hating yourself is one of the most destructive things you can do. It will affect your relationships, your confidence, and ensure that you will have very low self-esteem. In effect, it is a recipe for failure and misery. If you or someone you know suffer from self-hate, then you will really feel the pain as you struggle with life. See, self-hate can start because you have done something you shouldn't have and you punish yourself for it. You dislike something about yourself and it grows into stronger feelings of hate. You feel guilty. You are insecure. You have suffered abuse, and inside somehow you are partly to blame. You feel a failure. You have no friends. You are too self-critical. You don't like your appearance. And in women, it's mainly I'm seen as in weight issues. Why do we self-hate? Because everyone at some point has negative feelings about themselves. Perhaps you think you are overweight or unattractive. But self-hate, ranges from a dislike of some aspect of yourself, such as appearance or character, to an intense self-loathing. At the extreme end of the scale, you may feel angry and depressed. At that point, you can always look me up. I'll be your mental health therapist. It's Aisha Calloway. Do um, you have any um, information in regards to that subject? Um, the only thing I want to say, especially to women of color about self-hate, is you know, embrace who you are. Embrace what God has given you. Um, it's not all about the European look. I've been there, done that. And, you know, I did enjoy being able to comb my hair without having to, you know, deal with all the naps. But um, I think it was recently that I became to um, understand who I was, and I really just started growing out my hair, and, and I love it. But I think we get caught up in the European look. We do. We really do. We really, really do. Mm-hmm. In that chat line, Ms. Taz saying that she's guilty of self-hate, um, basically trying to be a perfectionist, perfectionist, and I guess in falling short, she hates herself or doesn't like herself as much. I could, I could, I could see that being the case, or that's the case that I'm interpreting. I know that I myself am guilty of that. You strive, strive, strive to get to this high level, and when you fall short, you ha- you feel some type of way inside about it, and you start loathing yourself because you haven't reached the uh, the blocks or the, the level of success that you feel that you should get, be able to get to or that you set in your mind to obtain the sacrifices that you make in order to get and still fall short. I can see how self-hate can come into that limelight in such a way. Hmm. I guess I can agree with that um, to some extent, but the thing I do like about Ms. Tass is that she said no matter what the obstacle, she continues to press forward. So that's a positive thing. 
and a lot of us do give up because we can't see the end of the road immediately. And that's what it's about. It's about keeping on and pressing forward and, you know, enduring through whatever it is you may be going through. So that's that's mm-hmm. some real strength. So I applaud her for that. Mm. All right. Well, we have one minute remaining. Do you like to leave us down with a final word, Ms. Calloway? Um, just learn to love yourself and, you know, teach your children to love. And the only way we can fight hate is through love. So continue loving, and and that's all I have to say. That's all I have to say about hate. And um, my final word would be, um, in regards to self-hate, these are things to counteract that. Build your self-confidence. Improve your self-esteem. Become less critical. Develop positive self-talk. Improve your self-image. Consider the good points about who you are and what you can do. End negative thoughts. Work on your social skills and your relationships. Friends can really transform your life. Making and keeping friends is a skill like any other. You have to work at it. Deal with your depression and be honest with yourself and try to understand why you feel loathing or dislike yourself. I hope that this has granted you different perspectives in regards to hate. If you find yourself hating on others, please eliminate the hate from your life. And others hate against you, don't let it define you. This is another eclectic perspective. Amen. This policy is valid from January 4th, 2019. This podcast is a personal podcast written and edited by F. Christopher Blue and his conglomerates at morethantherapy.org. For questions about this podcast, please contact staff at morethantherapy.org. The podcast accepts form of cash advertising, sponsorship, paid insertions, or other forms of compensation. The compensation received may influence the advertising content, topics, or posts made in this podcast. That content, advertising space, or posts may not always be identified as paid or sponsored content. The owners of this podcast is compensated to provide opinion on products, services, websites, and various other topics. Even though the owners of this podcast receives compensation for our posts or advertisements, we always give our honest opinions, findings, beliefs, or experiences on those topics or products. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are purely the podcast's own. Any product claim, statistic, quote, or other representation about a product or service should be verified with the manufacturer, provider, or party in question. This podcast does not contain any content which might present a conflict of interest.